With Hashem's assistance, we are learning about Bakama Dafayim Dalla, page 74. We're going to begin at the very bottom of Ayin Gimlom Abayz, 73b, but we're smack in the middle of a sugi. We need to get right back into it, give a little bit of background from what we said yesterday in the previous daf, and then we'll start up inside of the Gemara. Rava began this sugi by making a statement, and that statement was if we have a set of witnesses, group one we'll call them, group one makes a certain statement. Then you have a second set of witnesses, group two, that contradicts the original statement of the first group. So now, normally when we have one group contradicting another group, and they're contradicting their statement, so the two groups cancel out, and they're not believed at all. Now, Ravis is a chiddish, a novelty, and that is, if a third group comes along and says that the first group, not only were they... They don't know anything about if, if what they were saying was true. But what they, what they say is they contradict their person. They say, that group couldn't have said what they originally said because they were with us at that time. So now, normally, if there was no one contradicting the first group, so then the first group would be called Adim Zomimim, witnesses who attempted to cause something. And when they are attempted to cause something, then another group comes along and contradicts their person. So then they have to pay what they attempted. So in this case... So their, what they said was contradicted, and then their person was contradicted. When that happens, Rava says, so despite the fact that what they originally said, what the first group originally said was contradicted, and therefore they're not really creating any effect upon the person that they were trying to accuse of doing something, nevertheless, once we have a third set of witnesses that are coming and saying that their person is contradicted, we call the original contradiction to their statement the beginning of the contradiction to their person. That's how Rava says it, and therefore, we make the first group pay what they originally attempted to cause whoever the party was to pay something, or to, or if he was supposed to be killed, then they get killed. Now, Rava tried to prove this from a brysa. The brysa is a very unusual case. It's difficult to understand on the surface level what it's talking about, but the way he explains it is as follows. We have a brysa, and it says that if somebody comes along and says that a person who's an owner of a slave had knocked out the slave's eye, and he had to and then he knocked out his tooth, so the slave goes out free because the eye is knocked out, and then the owner has to pay the value of the tooth. Subsequently, so the set of witnesses becomes Adam Zomimim, their person is contradicted, they couldn't have been there, says another group of witnesses. So now that group that had attempted to cause him to pay for the tooth, so they have to pay the value of the eye to the slave, which we need explanation, what's going on, what's the understanding of this whole brisa. So Rav explains that there are actually three sets of witnesses here. One set of witnesses is saying that first he knocked out his eye, knocked out the eye of the slave, and then he knocked out the tooth. And thus, the only thing that has to be paid is the value of the tooth. Then there's another set of witnesses that's saying that first he knocked out the, to- the tooth, and then he knocked out the eye. Thus he went out free because of the tooth, and he has to pay for the value of the eye, which is a higher value. So now, what does the master prefer to pay? He prefers to pay the value of the tooth. So he's happy with the first group of witnesses, that statement. But before a third group comes along, so there's already a contradiction between the two statements of the two different sets of witnesses. So really, we can't do anything based on the two of them. They, they kind of cancel out. Then comes along a third group of witnesses and says that the first group who said that first the eye was knocked out and then the, the teeth, so that group of witnesses, they couldn't have been there. They were with us, right? So they become Adim Zomim. So that's why they have to pay the value of the eye to the slave. Because if they had not come along, so then the owner would have had to pay the value of the eye to the slave. Now that they came along, so all he's going to get is the value of his tooth. So they were attempting to cause him to lose a substantial amount of money. So that's what they have to pay. So we see that they started off being contradicted. They ended off that the person was contradicted, not just their statement. And we see that they have to pay. They do have to indeed do what they attempted. 
To this, Abayah responds to the Rav and says that in fact you don't have to say that that's the case in the Bryce, so you can't prove anything to your statement. Why? Because we could just as well say that in the Bryce, instead of there being three groups of witnesses, there could be two groups of witnesses. How does that work? So you could have the first group of witnesses saying that first the master knocked out the eye of the slave, and then the tooth of the slave. So all the master has to pay is the value of the tooth. Now comes along a set of witnesses and contradicts their person and contradicts their statement at the same time. So they say, you were not there. You couldn't have been there at the time when you claimed that you saw that he knocked out his eye and his tooth because you were with us. That's the first statement that the second group says. And furthermore, says the second group, it happens to be true that he knocked out his eye and his tooth, but not in that order. First he knocked out his tooth and then his eye. Thus, in any event, the master has to pay something, either the value of the tooth or the value of the eye, and he has to go out free. right? So the master would prefer that the first group of witnesses be correct. That's what it means in the Brisa. But nevertheless, in any event, he's losing his slave, the master, and therefore the, the first set of witnesses, all the, the difference really is between their statement and the second group is that they were attempting to cause him to... The slave to only get paid the tooth and not the eye and now he's going to end up with getting getting a greater value so therefore that's what they pay they have to pay the difference which is the value of the eye to the slave now we start on the very last word of Ayin Gimel Mabez, page 73b. Mimai. How do we know that this is the correct understanding what Abaye has just said? Midaseifa. Actually, we can figure it out from the second part of the Brisa. But Mebach Vazama, because we have to say the second part of the Brisa is talking about where the group of witnesses that were coming to contradict their person was also contradicting their statement. So we can say that the case that we've been discussing until now is also a case where they're contradicting their person and their statement. Because it says in the second part of the Brisa, we have a group of witnesses that are saying that this master knocked out the tooth of his slave and he knocked out the eye of his slave. And the slave is happy with this statement because he's going to get more money, he's going to get the value of his eye. And then it turns out that they become contradicted their person. So then the, the group of witnesses has to pay the value of the eye to the, to the master because that's what they attempted to cause him to lose. What's the case? If the group of witnesses that are coming to contradict their person are not admitting to the fact that there had been any damage done to the slave by this master at all to make so then they should have to pay the entire value of the slave not just the eye of the slave because that's what they were attempting to cause him to lose it must be it's obvious to come everyone agrees both the first set of witnesses and the second set of witnesses that there was a damage that was done to the slave to his eye and to his tooth and the cases where the second group of witnesses is not only coming to contradict their person to say that they wouldn't have been there at that time but it's con- coming to contradict their statement as well they agree that there was some kind of chavala, some kind of damage that was caused but not in that order the second group is saying that in fact the first thing that was knocked out was the tooth and the second thing that was knocked out was the eye and that's why there was an obligation to pay for the eye and that's why there's an obligation on the Edim Zomim these witnesses are now being knocked out that they have to pay for the value of the eye because that's what they attempted to cause them to lose so now they want to understand what's the case precisely the second group of witnesses, are they saying that this story happened, this chavala, this destruction that the master did to his slave that happened at a later point in time than the first group was claiming? If that would be the case, then they would still have to pay the value of the slave that that uh, that they're trying to make him lose. Why? Because when they're saying that there was an obligation, there's really no obligation yet because the person hadn't been freed according to the second group of witnesses. Because according to the second group, the point in time when the slave had gone out free was at a later point in time. So therefore, at the earlier point in time, he wasn't yet a free person that there would be a requirement to pay him for any kind of damages. 
So it must be that the second group of witnesses who are contradicting the person of the first group and contradicting their statement, they're saying that this whole story occurred actually earlier. These later group of witnesses, that's what they're saying. And if they had not come to court yet, there should still be an obligation for the Edim Zomim, these witnesses who are being contradicted, they should still have to pay the full value of the slave that he did not yet have an obligation to free his slave. And Rashi says that if he would indeed come to court before there was a Psak Din, before the court ruled against him, so if he came to court and he admitted that he had done this thing, so then he wouldn't have had an obligation to free his slave. Because Rashi says that it's a Knas, this that we make him free his slave is a fine, and Mother of a if someone admits to a fine that he owes, so he's part of he doesn't have an obligation to pay that fine. So Gemara says, The case is actually talking about a completely different case. That actually what happened was there was a previous court case and the current court case. The original court case was that this slave brought his master to court and he said to him, you have to free me. And indeed the court, Paskin, the court decreed that he has to free him because he knocked out his tooth, he knocked out his eye. Now, but before the court actually forced the guy to free his slave, so the guy ran away. And now, the slave is bringing him to a second court case. And he's bringing witnesses, and everyone agrees that in fact there was a previous court case. What we've accomplished with that, says Rashi, is that now he doesn't have the ability to go and admit that he knocked out the eye or the tooth of his slave, and thereby absolve himself of the need to free his slave, because that's something that we already know from a previous court case. So now the slave is bringing his master to court, or the previous slave is bringing the master to court, and he's bringing witnesses that say that first he knocked out his tooth, and then his eye, and he owes him a greater value. Then comes along... This second group of witnesses is contradicting the person of the first set of witnesses and their statement. So everyone is agreeing that in fact this slave should have been free. The only issue has to do with were the eyes knocked out first or were the teeth knocked out first. And the ramification will be if he has to pay the value of the teeth or the value of the eye. Digomar continues. Ravachabari the Ravika asks the following questions from Ravashi. Duki the Rava Mehecha. Where does Rava prove from this Brisa, like he said, that Hachasha, when you have a contradiction to a set of witnesses, that's considered the beginning, it's the Tchilas Hazam, it's considered the beginning of the fact that if someone else comes along, another group comes along and contradicts their person, they will still have to pay what they attempted. Where does he get that from? If it means that he learns it out from the first part of the Brisa, as we understood until now, right? Because we have to remember, according to Rava, so as opposed to Abai, who says that there are two different sets of witnesses, Rava said that there are three sets of witnesses, right? So we had a first set of witnesses that says that first the master knocked out the teeth, and then he knocked out the eye. So thus, according to the first set of witnesses, the master has to pay the slave, the former slave, the value of his eye. Then we have a second group of witnesses saying, no, it was the opposite order, where the first the master knocked out the eye, and then the master knocked the teeth. So all he has to pay is the value of the teeth. Right? So we have Edus Bahakashi, you have this contradiction. And then we have a third set of witnesses that are coming to say that the middle group, no, they couldn't possibly say that because they were with us. Now the Edim Zomim, this middle group, so they have to pay the slave the value that they would have caused them to lose, which was the value of the eye that the first group was claiming that he was owed. Thus we see that they start off being contradicted, and it ends off being that their Edim Zomim, that their person is contradicted, and they have to pay what they attempted. That's how Reva learns it out. So the Gemara says, that can't be how Reva learns it out. Is it true that the middle group is really getting contradicted, that you're assuming that it's starting off being contradicted, and it ends off being that the person is contradicted as well? It's not a good proof, because really it's not true. Since if there wouldn't be a third group of witnesses coming along and contradicting their person, if we only had the first two sets of witnesses, how would we pass and how would the Bezgin say? They would say like the middle group. They're not really getting contradicted. We would indeed 
indeed say that what does the slave get? He only gets the value of his tooth. Why would we say that? Because if we have two choices to give him $100 or $200, we give him the $100 because $100 is included in the $200. Who's the group that's going to contradict it? The first group, the group that was saying that the matter was always the value of the eye. The middle group is not getting contradicted, media at all. So you can't prove anything to what Rav is trying to prove that once they start being contradicted, then we can contradict the person and make them pay what they attempted. Here, they're not getting contradicted the person. We would have passed like them. We would have done exactly what they said. And it could be that's the reason why we indeed make them pay the amount that they attempted to make the slave lose. Amar Lay. So he responds as follows. Rava Sava, Rava holds that you can learn it out from the second part of the Brisa. How so? From the fact that the first part of the Brisa is talking about three sets of witnesses. So to the second part of the Brisa is actually three sets of witnesses. And he learns it out from the, safe, from the second part of the Brisa. And it's as follows. The Asubetre, two people, two witnesses come along and say as follows. For Amri, they say, That what happened was first he knocked out his tooth and then he knocked out his eye. So he has to pay the full value of his eye. And we would pass him, we would say the halacha like them. A second group of witnesses comes along, and they say, That knows the opposite. That what happened was first he knocked out his eye, and then he knocked out his tooth. So really all he owes is the value of the tooth. Now they're coming to contradict the statement of the first set of witnesses. So who comes out in this case that they become Zomimim, that the person is contradicted? The first set of witnesses. And what do we see? That they have to pay the value of the eye to the master. And if Rabbi would be incorrect, and it would be true that if you just start off contradicting them, it's not considered that you would make them pay what they attempted to when they get when their person gets contradicted. I'm a Mishalmi. Why are they paying the first set of witnesses? They were already contradicted from the beginning, and perhaps if Rabbi is wrong, then they shouldn't have to pay what they attempted at all because their their testimony was invalidated. Really, but it's a proof from the fact that they do have to pay what they attempted. That the fact that they got contradicted in the first place, it's considered like a beginning of the contradiction to their person. And therefore, they will have to pay what they attempted, and it's a proof to what Ravis says. What's Abaya going to respond? Why is he going to say that it's not a good proof? Because we understand in the first part of the Bible, we must say that it's talking about three separate sets of witnesses. Because it says in the Brisa that the master is happy with the second group of witnesses. So you would have to say that there was a first group that was saying that he has to pay the value of the eye, and the second group is happy with them because they're saying that only he has to pay the value of the tooth. So that's how you get the three groups. But in the second part of the Brisa, there's no reason that we would be forced to say that you have three groups. If you want to say it's because the slave is happy with what they're saying, and therefore there's two sets of witnesses. No. Because the slave will be happy no matter what, no matter what they say, even if he says that all he's getting is the value of his tooth, why? The because he's going out free. So that's why, according to Abaye, you can't prove anything from the second part of the Brisa because there's no reason, there's no hechrech. We're not forced to say that we're talking about three different sets of witnesses. If we're only talking about two sets of witnesses, and we're talking about that the second group of witnesses is coming to contradict the person and to contradict what they're saying, so then there's no proof to what Rav is saying because there's no previous contradiction that's being continued with a second level of a contradiction to their person. Maskevel or Bizer. Bizer challenges the Brisa. Because in the Brisa we said that he'll go out with whatever happened first. Let's say the eye is knocked out first. And then he'll have to pay him immediately if he knocks out his tooth. So he's gone out with one thing and he gets paid for the other thing. 
Ema, why don't we say, asks Sir Bezerra, Simeus Enoi, if he knocks out his eye, Nepo Beinoi, onto the top of 74b, he should go out with his eye. Hippolashina, if he knocks out his tooth, Nepo Pishinoi, goes out with his tooth. Simeus Enoi, if Hippolashina, let's say he did both things, knocked out his eye and his tooth, Nepo Beinoi, he should just go out free because he knocked out his eye and his tooth. Why? How do we see, how do we know that he should actually get paid for the second part of the damages? Amr Abaye, so Abaye answered him like this, Alech Amakra, for your question, the verse said, Tachas Enoi, Tachas Enoi, it says he goes out free because of his eye, and it doesn't say because of his eye and his tooth. Tachashenoi, it says because of his tooth. It doesn't say because of his tooth and his eye, meaning it gives you a separate statement of because of for each of those things, showing you that you don't need both of them for him to go out free, but rather each one of them sends him out free. So now he goes out free because of, let's say, his eye, and then afterwards, if he knocks out his tooth, so it's a pain for the value of the tooth. If he knocks out his tooth, and then he knocks out his eye, so then it's a pain for the value of the eye because he's already gone out free because of the tooth that was knocked out. Amar Ravidi Baravin says, We actually have a Mishnah, our Mishnah, that's explicitly, it would seem, like Rav has said, that Hachasha is Tchilas Hazama. The fact that witnesses are contradicted does not take them away from being contradicted to their person to require them to pay what they attempted to cause the other person to pay. So, the, so it says like this in the Mishnah, Let's see, you have two, two witnesses coming to testify that a certain person stole. And then they testify about the fact that he slaughtered it and or he sold it. And then they're found to be the person is contradicted. So they have to pay for the entire thing that they attempted to get him to pay, which was four or five times. My lap, perhaps the case is that on the first day they said a testimony about the fact that he stole. And on the next day they said a testimony about the fact that he slaughtered. The third day, so they became contradicted to their person about the fact that they couldn't have been there when he stole it. And on the fourth day, so they were contradicted to their person about the fact that they couldn't couldn't have been there when, when he slaughtered it. So now, once they've been contradicted on the third day to their person about the fact that they couldn't have been there when he stole it, so in regards to the second testimony, which they have not yet been contradicted to their person, but in regards to what they said, the statement that they made that it's considered that he slaughtered something that was stolen, that's already contradicted. Because since he didn't steal, so the slaughtering is insignificant as well. And what do we see? Then on the fourth day, so when they get contradicted to their person, it's considered a continuation. And the fact that they were already contradicted to what they said, to the, the statement that they made, doesn't take away the responsibility for them to pay what they attempted to cause them to pay. If it would be true that it's not considered the beginning, the contradiction to what they said is not considered the beginning of the contradiction to their person, so why do they have to pay the extra two or three times? From the fact that they do have to pay the full amount, it's a proof that the the first thing that happened, which was that their, their statement was contradicted, is the beginning of, this, of the contradiction to the person. Amri, so we say, it's not a good proof. What are we talking about over here? That the first thing that they got contradicted about to their person was not the first statement that they made, but rather the second statement that they made, which was that they said that this person had slaughtered it. And it could be that's the reason why they had to pay the full amount, because they were, their words were never previously contradicted, and therefore now that they're getting contradicted to their person, they have to pay the full amount for those two or three times, and then when they get contradicted to their person in regards to the stealing, they also have to pay that kefil, that double, and they have to totally pay the amount that they attempted to cause that person to pay. In regards to this argument between Rava and Abaye, whether or not once the witnesses are contradicted, whether when their words are contradicted, they can go and later be contradicted to their person and thus incur the penalty that they were trying to cause someone else to get, 
This same exact argument we find in regards to two other Amurai, Rabbi Yechon and Rabbi Lazar. Rabbi Yechon and Rabbi Lazar argue about this as well. One says that they can indeed be killed later, despite the fact that they were previously contradicted, what they said was contradicted, and then they, their person was contradicted. And one holds no. Once their statement is contradicted, you can't contradict their person and then give them what they attempted to cause the other person. This time, the Gemara says we can prove it. That Rabbi Lazar is the one who says that they will not be killed in such a case. Rabbi Lazar says, Let's say you have two witnesses who say that a certain person has killed another person. And then this set of witnesses is contradicted, meaning another set of witnesses comes along and says, that these guys are lying. So, like it. So the first set of witnesses that try to get someone killed, so since they said false testimony, they get lashes. Now, and if it's Rabbi Lazar who says that they would be killed if witnesses, another set of witnesses would come along and contradict their person even after they've been contradicted what they said, how could it be that he would ever say that they could get lashes for saying false testimony? Since what they did has the possibility, theoretically, for them to get killed, killed based on their words. Why? Because they get contradicted to their person afterwards. Anytime that you have the possibility for them to get killed based on what they did, ain't like in a love. You can never go and get mockers. You can't get lashes for the same exact statement. So, it's a clear proof. The reason that Rabbi Lazar says that there's a possibility for them to get lashes for saying false testimony is because he holds that in the end they will not be killed. So, it says this time it's a good proof. Nathagmar asks, Lycan, how could it be that he gets lashes? Trevi Trainenu. This group is being contradicted by another group that's saying that he didn't kill. So then you have one group's word against another group's word. My Chazi the Samchesahani Smechahani. Why are we depending on the words of this one? We should depend on the words of this one. Maybe he really did kill. Why are these people getting killed? Why, how do we know that they are for sure lying? So Abayah says, The case, how do we know that this group is telling a lie, that they were saying false testimony? Because the guy who they're claiming got killed has walked into court. Clearly he's not dead. And it's clear that this group of witnesses has said something which was a false testimony. Therefore, that's how we know that we can give them lashes. We begin the Mishnah. If let's say somebody steals, and there are two witnesses who testify to that fact, but in regards to the slaughtering or the selling, there's only a single witness, which is not enough to constitute valid testimony, or he himself admits to the fact that he slaughtered it or sold it, so all he pays is for the initial testimony that was stated about him that he stole, he has to pay double, but he doesn't have to tack on the extra two or three times more the full four or five times, he doesn't have to pay that a full amount because you don't have valid witnesses who are testifying to the fact that he's done the second stage which would require him to pay the extra amount. Now we're going to say a number of cases where there's no obligation to pay the four or five times because he's done something that exempts him from that. Let's say he stole, but he slaughtered on Shabbos. So the slaughtering that he's doing, it incurs for him the death penalty. Thus we have a concept of the death penalty at the same time coming as a monetary obligation. So you only get one of the obligations and it's the more stringent of the two. Again, this case is similar, where he stole and then he slaughtered it for idolatry. Let's say he stole something. This is a different case. We stole something from his father. The father dies. And now he has a portion in it, right? Because, because he has an inherited this thing that he stole originally. So now when he's slaughtering it, he's slaughtering something that also belongs to him. So therefore he doesn't have an obligation, he only has an obligation to pay four or five times when he's doing something that completely doesn't belong to him. Let's say he stole something and then instead of selling it or slaughtering it, he made it wholly unto the temple. 
After he made it, he, then it now it belongs to the temple, so he slaughters it or he sells it. So it no longer belongs to the original person that he's stolen from. In all these cases, all he pays is for the stealing it, the double. He doesn't have to pay four or five times, which would be the fine for having stole it or slaughtered it. Rabbi Shimon says, We're talking about a case where it's something which belongs to the temple, and the person has accepted upon himself to the responsibility if it gets stolen or lost. So he will pay four or five times. But if there's no obligation on the person, he hasn't accepted upon himself the responsibility, there's not going to be obligation. And Rashi tells us that the Gemara is going to explain exactly which case Rabbi Shimon is going on over here. We'll understand that last case better from the Gemara. We begin the Gemara. If there's a single witness testifying to the fact that he slaughtered it or sold it, it's obvious that that's not going to obligate him in the four or five times. The Gemara says like this, this is what's coming to teach us, that in a certain sense, when he admits to it, so there's something similar about that case as to a case where there's a single witness. In regards to a case where there's a single witness, if another witness, another single witness will come, so that second single witness is going to connect to the first single witness, now you'll have two witnesses, So and it's going to be an obligation. It's also in a case where he himself admitted it, if two witnesses come afterwards, so even though he had originally admitted to the fine, and normally when a person admits, so he has no obligation, but since two witnesses come afterwards, there's also going to be an obligation. La Pukimidravhun, and this comes to exclude the same of Huna Amarav in the name of Rav, the Amarav Huna Amarav, because he said as follows Maidabiknas, if you have somebody who admits to a fine, even if witnesses come afterwards and testify to the fact that he owed that fine putter, he still has an obligation since he originally admitted to the fine. Now the Gemara continues, Gufa, we stated previously, Amarav Huna Amarav, Rav Huna said in the name of Rav, Maidabiknas, Putter, that if you have someone who admits to a fine and then witnesses come and say the same thing that he owes that fine, there still is no obligation since he admitted. Ace the Gemara asks the question of Chizda. Rav Huna, Rav Chizda asked the following question to Rav Huna. There was a story with Rav Gamliel, that he blinded the eye of his slave Tevi. Tevi was a slave who was a Talmud Chacham, who was, he, he was the slave of Rav Gamliel, so he knew a tremendous amount of Torah, but you know, the halacha is, the law is that a person is not allowed to free his slave. So Rav Gamliel, he was very joyful. He was ecstatic to the fact that he was able to now free his slave because he had blinded his eye. Matzir Bishua, so he found he said, don't you know that my slave Tevi has gone out free? So he says to him, Rabbi says to him, why is that? Why did that happen? I blinded his eye. So Rabbi Shua says to him, I'm sorry, buddy, but the, what you're saying doesn't hold any water. There were no witnesses that saw you do that. So the Gemara says, The implication is if there would be witnesses, there could be an obligation. And we can deduce from here, that if someone admits to a fine, and then witnesses come, there would be an obligation. Because he's admitting to the fact that his slave has to go out free. As we mentioned previously, so that thing that a, that a slave goes out free when someone blinds his eyes is a knas, it's a fine. He admitted to it, and theoretically if witnesses would now come, so it seems that the slave would indeed be able to go out free. So that proves that if someone admits to a fine, and then witnesses come, that there still could be an obligation, not like Ravuna. Amar Leh, so he responded and said, Shani Rav Gamliel. It's different in the case of Rav Gamliel, because he did not admit in front of a court. So therefore the fact that he admitted is not a significant admission. 
Egyptian. So that's why if witnesses would come afterwards, they would indeed obligate him to free his slave. So Gemara says, wait, Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Yeshua, he was the head of the court. So what do you mean it wasn't a good admission? So the Gemara answers on the top of 75a, This story happened outside of the courts. And therefore, that's why it wasn't a good admission. The Gemara says, hold on a second. He said to him, meaning Rabbi Yeshua said to him, that your words are meaningless, because you already admitted to it. And if you admit in front of a court, so we don't give you the fine. My love, Tanahi. Maybe this is actually an argument between different Tanahim. Hi, Eidim. This one, the version of the Brisa that says that he said to him that you don't have witnesses, suffer. Because he holds that if a person admits to a knas, to a fine, and then witnesses come afterwards, there would be an obligation. And that's why that's what he was saying to him. And according to the second Brisa that says, that says that you already admitted, suffer. The reason that this Brisa says it this way is because it holds that if witnesses would come afterwards, there would still be no obligation. The Gemara says, no, that's not true. The Kuli everyone agrees, all the Brises agree, like Rav Huna said in the Nevrav, that if a person admits and then witnesses come afterwards and say the, exactly what he admitted to, that there's no obligation. So what's the difference between the two Brises? This Brisa, the Amar Shekfar, that says that the, what Rabbi Yeshua said to him is that you don't have witnesses, he holds, that Brisa holds, that the story occurred outside of the courts and therefore his admission wasn't a good admission. And the only reason that he's not going to go out free is because you don't have witnesses. And the one who says that what Rabbi Yeshua said was because you already admitted, he holds that the story actually occurred inside of the course, and that's why that was the response of Rabbi Yeshua.